Welcome to the University of California, San Francisco Sports Medicine Podcast, featuring Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and Dr. Drew Lansdowne, discussing hot topics in sports medicine and society. We hope you enjoy our podcast and look forward to hearing from you. Welcome, everyone, to the UCSF Sports Medicine Podcast, six to eight weeks with myself, Dr. Nira Fundia, Dr. Brian Feely, and the return of Drew Lansdowne to the podcast. Um, today, we'll be talking about UCL injuries. This obviously is a very hot topic monks here in the Bay Area, particularly with Brock Purdy suffering an injury to his UCL um, during the game against Philadelphia Eagles. So there's been a lot of talk about what the UCL actually does, what the various treatment options are, and what are the differences between the quarterback and a pitcher when they suffer this injury. So maybe the first question I'll ask you, Drew, what exactly is the ulnar collateral ligament? A lot of people have heard of it, but don't actually know what it is and what it does. Yeah, so um, definitely good to be here. And um, it's so the ulnar collateral ligament, um, a ligament first is something that connects two bones together. Um, so, um, it is a structure that's on the inside part of the elbow. Um, and it's running from the humerus to the ulna, um, that hence the name, the ulnar collateral ligament. And then collateral just means on the side. Uh, and then what it does is it keeps the elbow stable, um, especially when the hand is going behind the elbow. Um, so when you think of somebody throwing, um, how they generate their power is that hand is, um, kind of behind the elbow, and then they, uh, you know, whip the arm forward, um, and it provides stability with that type of motion. So it's something that um, is needed for a healthy elbow to be able to stand those loads. Um, and then something that we see come up as a problem with uh, people who are doing um, overhead activities, um, repetitive activities, things like that. Yeah. And one more question for you, Drew. Does this, can you also injure this not from throwing? Like, are there other ways that this ligament could be injured, you know, perhaps like the traumatic injury, so oh, yeah. it's like an elbow dislocation or something like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. So any higher inner energy trauma to the elbow can um, lead to an injury to the ulnar collateral ligament. Um, so even, you know, falling on the arm, um, a lot of times we'll see it in football. Um, somebody has their hand out to the side um, and then somebody's coming by and they try to, you know, arm tackle them and then that elbow can get um, torqued in that direction. Um, and then, you know, I mean, just like with Brock Purdy's injury, this wasn't from him um, you know, overusing the arm, throwing too much. This is just from um, the defensive lineman hitting the arm at the right time to put that kind of load on the elbow. Right. And Brian, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with this injury in pitchers, but is this something we see commonly in quarterbacks as well too? Yeah, this happens about, I would say less than once a year to quarterbacks. I think there's a variety of different reasons. Um, most concerning as a 49er fan is there's not that many famous quarterbacks that have UCL injuries. So it seems to be relegated to people like Jake Delholm and other mediocre level quarterbacks. So I'm hoping that Brock Purdy actually is the exception, not the rule. Um, I think there's a variety of different reasons why it's less common. M mainly, it, you don't put the same amount of forces and torque across the elbow in football compared to baseball. And uh, Chris Dodson, who um, I used to work with in New York, um, had a study way, way back when, about 13 years ago. And most of the time, um, this is a contact-based injury, whereas obviously in baseball, it's not a contact-based injury. So even though it can happen in football players, it's not nearly as common in um, compared to uh, throwers, where it's almost a ubiquitous injury for a lot of pitchers at this point. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will say, you know, that this happens due to repetitive throwing through baseball players. But you know, quarterbacks throw a lot too. Are there are there differences in why the UCL isn't injured repetitively, Drew, from throwing? Like, what are the differences in terms of the throwing motion between a, between potentially a quarterback and a pitcher? Yeah, so um, 
you know, the motion is different. Usually with quarterbacks, um, you know, they're not winding up in the same fashion, um, kind of reaching back to throw, you know, as hard as possible. Um, and then, um, you know, it's more like the hand is closer to the body. Um, it's just not the same force across the elbow. Um, there's also thought that the weight of the ball may play a difference and it's, um, probably just in what you're able to, um, like how you're able to throw it and, um, football is heavier. And so you have to just, it's almost like, not like a shot put motion, but, um, you know, more akin to that than, um, that same, um, you know, force that comes with a baseball and, you know, with throwing a baseball, there's just a really high, um, like angular velocity across the elbow, just as the arm whips forward. And, um, that's just, um, you don't see that same kind of force with the football motion which is good for these quarterbacks. Right. And then if, if someone comes into your clinic, Drew, what kind of things would you see on exam? Like what are they complaining about when they come into clinic um, with potentially a UCL injury? Yeah. And so it'll kind of like we were talking about that mechanism of injury. So if this is, you know, hey, I had a trauma, I fell, I dislocated my elbow, you know, that's one camp. And then the other is just, I throw a lot, I use my arm a lot and my arm hurts. Um, but usually the symptoms, um, you'll have pain at the inside part of the elbow. Um, and then this can be something where day to day, you're totally fine. Um, because most of the things that we do don't put a lot of force in that fashion across the elbow. Uh, but then just, you know, if I try to throw, then my elbow hurts or, uh, like, I feel like I, you know, I don't have any control with when I'm throwing because, you know, I don't really know where my arm is. And then the other thing that can commonly happen is um, problems with the ulnar nerve. So that's the nerve that's going behind the inside part of the elbow um, and then gives sensation to your pinky finger, your ring finger. Um, and so you can even get tingling down in the hand, pain down towards the hand, because when the ligament isn't there, then the nerve sees more force. So Brian, let's say someone comes in, you know, to your clinic, they've, you know, have an exam concerning for it in the MRI, um, which is kind of the gold standard for, for diagnosing these shows a UCL tear what are the different treatment options you'd run by, let's say a throwing athlete in general? Yeah, go to our shoulder elbow clinic, um, go see Dr. Lansdowne, go see Dr. Edwards. Um, no, I think thankfully for better or for worse, we don't see a lot of these in clinic. And I think in San Francisco, we don't have the volume of throwers that we typically get in other places. So I think even if you look at the East Bay in California, but certainly in the Southern half of the state and in um, the Southeast and Southwest, this is almost endemic in pitchers. Um, it's relatively uncommon to see this. So a lot of times patients will say, well, I think I may have a Tommy John injury, or I may have strained my elbow where I need surgery, especially during the football season, you'll get these minor elbow strains in our in the contact offensive and defensive linemen. And the reality is for a ma vast majority of these people, they don't need surgery. If they have a little bit of signal in the um, in the MRI, it's not something that's going to be sped up with surgery. If they need surgery, um, I think there's really two options. One is this um, internal brace concept, which isn't all that new. It's been tried in a variety of different ways, but it's essentially a piece of what looks like ribbon that's very hard to break, that is put in on either side of where the ligament attaches and allows the ligament to heal and scar in in that area. And certainly if you have a mostly intact tendon, but it's detached on one side, and as Brock Purdy described, it kind of stretches out um, and it feels like your arm is loose, that allows enough for the um, acute injury to heal. 
for baseball players, especially if they've had this prodromal syndrome of my elbow didn't feel great. It felt like something was going on for a while. I was losing some accuracy and velocity. And then I felt a pop. You basically have a really stretched out ligament that in doing something that's just going to put a piece of tape in isn't going to have enough structural integrity to go back to throwing. So in those patients, we talk about doing a reconstruction where we borrow a tendon, usually from the wrist, but sometimes from the leg and giving them a new um, UCL, which requires a considerable increased time in terms of rehab and being able to get back to throwing. Yeah. And I think it's important, maybe you could even talk to this, Brian and Drew, is like how sometimes on an MRI, it's not exactly clear to what degree the ligament's injured. I mean, I think when we see ACL injuries or um, meniscus injuries, it's sometimes very clear, but a UCL, because it's so small, it can be hard to really differentiate how bad the ligament is. And sometimes that could mean multiple different opinions for the right option. Um, can you maybe speak to a little bit to that, to Drew, a bit, Drew, about that, about how it's sometimes hard to tell the degree of injury on an MRI? Yeah, and I think you know part of it is the just the size of the structure, and so um, you know when you're looking that on on the scan can be, you know, you're just getting limited information, um, and then the other part is you know the MRI is great to show you you know some indication of what that structure looks like, but um, not always you know the same as looking at it directly. So um, I think you know that's where a lot of the different opinions can come from is just. Um, you know, that interpretation of what that image is indicating and, um, you know, what that might mean for what that structure actually looks like. Right. And then, Brian, you hear sometimes for people who decide not to get this done, let's say it's not to get surgery, it's like a partial injury or minor injury, and they, and they use something called PRP. Um, mm. Is there any evidence to suggest that PRP helps these heal, you know, for those who don't undergo surgery? No. Oh, you okay. wanted me to elaborate go. on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think... <laughs> The reality is, is anytime you tear and bleed into the area, you're going to bring your own PRP. So there's probably some indications for some athletes that have a chronic attritional injury um, that PRP is going to be beneficial. Where we see it a lot more commonly used in the elbow, where there is some evidence, is with tennis elbow, where you do have degeneration over time, where you're, the extensor uh, muscles or the muscles that help pull your wrist up that attach at the elbow uh, degenerate over time and you lose blood supply, you lose that ability to have that intrinsic healing. PRP has been shown to be pretty effective in those patients that don't get better with other more straightforward treatments like rest and physical therapy. But for a partial UCL injury, there's not necessarily a problem with bleeding. The problem is whether or not it heals or not, which is going to be more structural. Your elbow's too loose or not too loose. Having more platelets in that area isn't going to cause anything to tighten or heal in a different structural manner. So for the most part, having PRP there, if it works, suggests it was going to work anyway. You may save a week or two on rehab, but over a six-month rehab process, saving a week for the vast, vast majority of people isn't going to make a difference. And then looking at the surgical kind of rehab options, you know, you've got repair where people talk about six months and, and Tommy John, the full reconstruction um, can sometimes be nine to 12 months. Why is there a difference kind of in, in the rehab protocols, Drew, for this? What, what's what's going on in terms of healing that causes one to be quicker than the other? Yeah, so I think the big thing is, um, so that repair, you're keeping your own ligament and then, you know, reattaching it, reinforcing it with that, you know, high strength suture. And then the reconstruction, you're taking that tendon, um, and then the tendon is, um, it's different in um, composition and structure than your normal ligament. Um, and then, so that has to have some process to where that 
incorporates that heals and um, you know changes to be more like that ligament, uh, and that just takes more time. Um, and so it's a different healing response. Um, and um, yeah, what we've been able to see is that it does seem like people with a repair can get back quicker, which is which can be an advantage with that procedure for sure. Um, so when we talk about in, uh, athletes who have these injuries, a lot of people have questions about how they're going to be long-term, you know, are they going to be better? Or are they going to be less accurate? So what's some of the data, Brian, in general for, for athletes who get this type of procedure done? I think in general, we don't have much information on quarterbacks, but it seems that they return and return to about the same level of play as before. So I think for Brock Purdy, we're looking at future all pro probably, I, Tom Brady, I would love to say Aaron Rodgers level career, but he seems much more level-headed than Aaron Rodgers. So I'm going Steve Young kind of uh, career. For pitchers, it's a little bit more variable. And in the major leagues, you look at pitchers, they return to their pre-injury status. But oftentimes, honestly, when you look at their pre-injury status, there was a little bit of a decline going into the injury. So this idea that they're going to increase their velocity and pitch faster isn't necessarily true because they may get back to where they were before their elbow was deteriorating, but you're not all of a sudden a faster, better pitcher. So it's certainly not something that should be done prophylactically. I think the hard one is when you look at youth, um, youth in like high school level baseball, a lot of those kids that have that surgery don't come back. So it's not something that you can necessarily have and say, hey, so-and-so in the majors had this or everyone in the majors had this. Therefore, if I just get this surgery, that's what's going to get me to the next level. And that's often the common perception. So I think especially with younger athletes, we still have to treat them as the number one uh, paradigm is injury prevention, not let them blow out the elbow because they'll pitch better afterwards. It's more, let's treat our younger athletes well, try to prevent injury by working on good form, good mechanics, good core stability while pitching, and most importantly, rest. Yeah, no, absolutely, I totally agree. And I think that the common misconception that you get back better, um, you're finally working on that rehab stuff that you could do even before you injure your ligaments. So the, the keys are really rest, you know, not doing baseball year round and, you know, kind of making sure you're taking care of your body when it hurts. So absolutely. Um, Drew, you know, when last question for you before we wrap up, um, when athletes come in with this, wh why do professional athletes in general get multiple opinions about this? Are, are there just a handful of people who do this? Why does this seem a lot more complex and, and why are people kind of, why are there only a handful of people who do this in professional athletes across the country? Yeah. And I think um, some of the multiple opinions, comes from the fact that there isn't like a clear best way to manage a lot of these injuries. Um, you know, if you look at that paper that Brian was talking about from um, Chris Dodson, uh, most NFL quarterbacks have had these injuries managed without surgery. Um, and they've returned to play within, you know, three to four weeks, um, even with higher grade injuries. And so it, you know, it can be something that, you know, you may be able to avoid surgery. I think one of the hard parts with an end of season injury like this is, um, you know, you're looking to hopefully be ready to start the next year. And if you wait and see, then that may start to, um, you know, run into the next year rather than just dealing with it now. But, um, you know, there's um, variability in how people will treat injuries like this because it's just uh, not totally clear. Um, and then, you know, I think there are a handful of people that usually do a lot of the surgeries on the, you know, professional pitchers, the high level athletes. And I think it's just because it's not that common of an injury. Um, so a lot of them just get funneled to the same place because um, it's been done there before and has seemed to work out. 
Absolutely. Well, obviously lots to talk about in, in a rare injury in quarterbacks. And, you know, hopefully we won't have any Giants or A's pitchers getting this in the upcoming season, which would be a much more traumatic issue for them in terms of career. But um, thanks everyone again for listening to our podcast and uh, we look forward to talking to you soon.